Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome to the New England Hockey Journal Rinkwise podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Ludicky. We are so happy to be here again with another episode and presentation of our podcast efforts where we are here to insightfully inform you, the listener, on all things hockey. And uh, we've got a lot going on at hockeyjournal.com. We've got pro hockey around the corner, so we've been doing some Bruins coverage Recently went to the prospects challenge or covered the prospects in the rookie camp at the Boston Bruins. And uh, we've got some interesting players coming down the pipeline there. Main camp starting up. We've got lots of features of hockey at every level. Certainly the split season hockey's in, in full effect and college hockey right around the corner. So a lot to bring you. Go to www.hockeyjournal.com to subscribe, to listen to the podcast be sure to also access the website or on Apple, Spotify, or any place that you'd like to get your podcasts and uh, subscribe, download, listen to RinkWise. Uh, we've had some great episodes with Mark Diver, uh, Paul Kanata of Milton Academy. And this episode, we are proud to bring Bobby Farnham, former prep star with Brooks and Phillips Andover, went on to a solid Strong career at Brown University and made it all the way into pro hockey, the NHL with the Pittsburgh Penguins, New Jersey Devils, and uh, Montreal Canadiens. Played a long time in the AHL and the East Coast League and even played a year overseas in Ireland. We are ecstatic to bring Bobby to you. He's a North Andover Mass native. And uh, now that he has retired from the game, he's serving as Director of Player Development and Business Strategy for Global Hockey Consultants. Without further ado, let us bring you the conversation that uh, we had with Bobby Farnham. A lot of great info, and and for aspiring young hockey players, a lot of his insights are gold. So, uh, but before we do that, I actually have some business to attend to, and that is: Are you excited for the college hockey season? We are, and college hockey's premier regular season tournament comes to Worcester, Massachusetts, on October eight and nine, as Holy Cross hosts the icebreaker tournament. Don't miss any of the action at the DCU Center in Worcester as Boston College, Northeastern, Quinnipiac, and Holy Cross take the ice to open the college hockey season. Tickets are on sale now and are just $30 for a day pass and $50 for all four games. To experience an amazing weekend of college hockey, head to goholycross.com forward slash icebreaker to reserve your seats today. And now, my conversation with Bobby Farnham. Bobby, we're so glad to have you. Uh, growing up in Massachusetts, how'd you first get into hockey and family connection with the sport, anything like that? Um, yeah, I think, you know, growing up here and, you know, uh, in the Boston area, you know, it's kind of a hotbed for hockey. And I think it was something that I was definitely itching to do as a kid. You know, I always had a ball or puck or stick in my hands. And so as soon as I turned three, I went over to Brooks School, um, which is about a mile from my house in North Andover, Mass, where I grew up, and um, and started to learn to skate. And I, you know, I remember, you know, trying to make it the full hour long session with my dad, uh, 
And uh, he played hockey in high school, but, you know, mostly I, I was came from a football family. Uh, Farnham was, you know, kind of, you know, all wide receivers, football family. But um, I loved hockey, and, and my love for the game just grew from there. Great. Um, so you know, the minor programs that, that got you started, uh, how, did, how did you do it? How did you progress? Maybe who were some of the, the coaches you had that were early on in your development that inspired you to stick with it and, and, and fostered your love for the game? Yeah, definitely. I, um, so I played for my town team um, growing up, and then I also played for the Valley Junior Warriors um, and then Top Gun and then Acibit Valley and then on to prep school from there with Brooks School for two years and then Phillips Andover. And the coaches were um, Jimmy Grenham and then Dave McDonald and then Brian Decord and Dean Boylan. And I always, you know, those were the, the main coaches that really fostered my development and, you know, my love for the game you know, the many ups and downs that come with, you know, hockey and, and growing. Um, and they were all pretty instrumental in my growth and development. Some key names in there for sure. So, I mean, just the, the, in terms of the progression to to prep hockey, I mean, it's it's something that obviously a lot of kids, especially back then, I mean, we're talking about prep hockey was, was huge and New England continues to be huge. Uh, kind of the what you'd say the accepted model development model for, for many players that come out of this region. So how did that all come about? I mean, you said you started out at Brooks, but then you ended up at Phillips Andover. So just take us through that and, and, and how it all worked out for you. Yeah, absolutely. The, the landscapes changed a little bit, but when I was going into prep school, I had done a repeat year going into Brooks. Um, and so I started as a little bit older on the ninth grade side. I was undersized. I've always been undersized. Um, probably about five, six, five, seven, 140 pounds. If that maybe soaking wet mm. at that point, but, um, it was, uh, Brian Decord had reached out and, um, and I had talked with him and talk about somebody who, who knows the game, who lives and breathes the game really. Um, and, um, I was sold on that school and it was a division two prep school at the time. So it was a very good opportunity for me to go in and play. Um, off the bat and that's what I did and I used that those two years as a progression to make the step to division one hockey at Phillips Andover um, for my junior year right and so just some of the things that what what are some of the takeaways that you had that were instrumental that you think you know when you got to Brooks obviously I think we talk to hockey players and really it's true in life right you always want to be better on the day you leave a situation having learned and progressed than the first day. So, you know, take yourself back to your first Brooks practice if you can, and then, and then look back on, on where you were as a player and how did that experience really help you make that adjustment and make that jump to division one? Um, it was, it was incredible habits. I would say habits from an early age, um, were great for me. And it would be something as small as you're in the middle of a drill and you lose the puck. And instead of grabbing a new puck right off the sideboard, you stop, you go back, you get the other puck. That was something that Brian Decord did um, and, and cemented in our heads from at that prep school, which is something I think it, to this day, I could never take another puck. Um, and I all, you know, you always stop on the puck. And that was something he did that. If you're ever leaning on the boards, he would say, those things hold themselves up, you know what? So he was tough in the right way. He got a lot out of his players. Um, you know, I was one of the leading scorers on the team and he benched me for the last eight minutes of a game in Roxbury Latin. Um, and I still remember for taking a penalty. And I still remember that. Right. So he cemented a lot of things in my head from an early age that I took with me as I went to Phillips Andover too, then had the opportunity to play for another amazing guy in Dean Boylan. Right. 
And I want to stick with habits because yeah. I, you know, having come from the USHL and having been a director of scouting and I would mm-hmm. interact with the kids at the USHL combines and that's, that's what I would preach to them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and especially in this stage, maybe it was a little different when you were, you, you were still coming up, maybe the skills and the skating hadn't yet fully manifested to where it is now. I mean, you go to a game now, everyone can skate. Mm-hmm. Everyone can pretty much handle the pockets, the year round availability of ice. So really it comes down to the habits, the little things that players can do. And so to learn that at a young age had to be huge and instrumental for you in, in terms of, of progressing. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, once those things become second nature, the, they become second nature in a game too. And, um, you know, you still have play, you know, you play pickup hockey now and then, you know, pass will be behind you. You'll stop right on and all of a sudden you're like, geez, like, you know, I don't really have to do that anymore. <laughs> right. But, um, but it's, it's there. And I think from an early age and then as you build those and coaches are obviously a big part of that and holding guys accountable um, for those habits. But you, you, you build that from an early age and it continues all the way through, you know, for me all the way until, you know, I was 31 years old playing hockey in Belfast. Yeah, well, and, and we're going to get to Belfast yeah, later, yeah. believe me. <laughs> uh, you know, playing on the Emerald Isle had to be yeah, uh, yeah. quite the experience for you. But going back to Phillips Hanover, so around 07, 08, uh, I believe, was that was that your last season there at Phillips. Was was Chris Kreider on the team yet at that point? Yes. Yeah, we had a, we had a great team. Uh, we were a playoff team that year. We lost in the first round, but we had this kind of an up-and-down start to the season. And then we went, I think, 13-1-1. Um, down the stretch. I remember Chris Kreider's coming out game because he had repeated going into Andover and then he was like, no, no, wait, you're too good. You need to accelerate now to get you to BC as quick as possible. And I think he had like seven points against St. Seb's and everyone was just kind of like, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Again. And I guess St. Seb's, yeah. I mean, that's not some, you know, that's yeah. not some other, you know, lower end. I mean, that, I imagine the arrows back then were were quite the team like they usually are, right? So. Absolutely. So, you know, he we saw him, his coming out party, and, and Garnet Hathaway was on that team as well. Um, and, you know, I mean, my first three lines, I would say, you know, in that era of prep school hockey were, D1 or D3 guys, you know, and then their first, you know, four deep, you know, top four D, same. So it was it was a great team, great group of guys, and it was a, a great experience all around. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, some definitely some names, Garnet Hathaway. So that's a good segue. Yes. Brown University. So yeah. how did that how did that all come to pass in terms of the recruiting? I'm just curious about the how the recruiting process went for you and and looking back on it, uh what were some of the key things that you you would say led to your your decision to go there? Um, I'd say I'd say that my recruiting process I, I I don't think I was I was very heavily recruited by the um, hockey schools to be quite honest. Was so, it the size thing? Do you think it that, could have been size? It could have been it could have it could have been a multitude of things. I don't really know, but the schools that I looked at were you know Quinnipiac, uh, Brown, Yale, Colgate. Um, Holy Cross, and and that was kind of where I was at. But I I did have aspirations to play um, in the Ivy League, um, and so it came down to Brown and Yale. And the vibe the vibe I got from Brown, and and I know I and I will preface this by saying my dad, two uncles, and cousins all played all played football at Brown prior okay. to me. Yeah, so they might have had a little bit of a bias. <laughs> yeah, and I grew up going to games there, you know, my whole life, but. The vibe I got in uh, with my teammates in the hockey house, uh, it, w- it was Roger Grillo at the time who recruited mm. me. Um, 
And he and uh, another named Steve, Steve King, who was uh, working at Brown at the time, took me to lunch. And I, it, Brown was just kind of a no-brainer for me. Right. Um, and I was so excited, you know, to go through the process of seeing all the schools and hearing what everyone, you know, had to say. But my vibe there ultimately led me to go to that school. Okay, so you get to Brown and you're coming out of Phillips Andover and, you know, four four years in prep, D, D2 to D1, and now you're a D1 hockey player. Mm-hmm. How prepared were you for it? In hindsight, I might have been able to do a year of juniors to be a little bit more prepared, and maybe that would have made more sense for me, but I knew I was ready to go, and I knew I needed to get on campus and go to college. I was itching to get there, so I would say my freshman year, was almost like my year of juniors a little bit for me. I acclimated okay. I played I played well. I got my first healthy scratch, which is one of the most instrumental moments in my life, to be honest with you. Um, I got healthy scratch for um, our union RPI one weekend at home, and that had never happened to me in my life. And um, and I would say I would say I thank Roger Grillo for that at this time because you learn from that, and you when you sit in the stands and you watch your teammates play. It's a whole different uh, mentality. It's a different vibe. You'd, you'd never, you've never experienced it before. So when that happened, it was like, all right, hey, you can't take, you can't take it a second off ever. Um, and it, and I will say, it did not happen again. Um, I had my ups and downs. Trust me, throughout the rest of my career, but it was an, it was a, a different world playing Division One college hockey, and it was, you know, quite a few growing pains um, as I came in, but. You know, I learned and, and you acclimate. Right. Um, that, that healthy scratch thing is so important because mm-hmm. unless your name's Mario Lemieux or <laughs> Steve Heiserman, uh, even Wayne Gretzky, you got traded. I mean, you're going to get scratched. You're going to get cut. You're going to get traded at some point as a hockey player. Mm-hmm. Most players are going to, they're going to go through that experience. So what do you tell a, what do you tell a young player that maybe is, is the best player on his team? Uh, right now at, at, at the level and he just maybe doesn't envision that that ever being a possibility mm-hmm. you know what would you what advice would you give a young player in terms of if that moment comes how do you handle it and what do you, where do you go from there i'd say you can handle it two ways i mean you need to experience this yourself it's like so how you react is okay react how you react on your own time not in front of your teammates not in front of anybody else you got to talk to your parents or do something like that you can that's fine I was like, keep it to yourself, but when you're at the rink and you're with your teammates, first of all, don't have a pouty face, and you know, because that's not helping anyone. It's a team game, first and foremost. Second of all, if it does happen, then you can handle it two ways. You can, be, you can feel sorry for yourself, or you can go out there your next practice, and you can have a great practice, and you can get back on the, get back on the horse and, and really, truly work your way through it, because it's just it's a it's a minuscule bump in the grand scheme of what your hockey future is. And if you have aspirations of playing in college or pro, there's going to be a lot rockier roads. Right. So that's what I would say. Oh, great. It's great advice. Uh, like you said, you could have played juniors just out of curiosity. Like what was, what was the option that you might've been looking at at the time? Uh, my option probably would have been ba- warriors okay. with, with EJ, Andy, the, with Andy Hines good, or, good or USHL. Okay. Very good. Um, if I could have, been able but you know what I, I i barely went down the process of going the mm-hmm. road when roger grillo showed up at the flood mart tournament and he said no he can come next year he can do a year of juniors um to my father i was you know i 
I, I said, I'm, I'm going to school next year. I was, I was going. Now, one of the things I talk to parents about, and this is, you know, you probably can identify with this because you, you alluded to it earlier. You didn't come right out and say it, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a little artistic license here. <laughs> and, uh, and that is as a culture, you know, we are conditioned to be in college at age 18. You know, you fit, you know, to the typical path, you graduate from high school, you're 18 years old, 19 years old, and you go right to school. So for a hockey player, I mean, it's, it's just natural to apply that same timeline. But now, I mean, it's, it's not that simple. The game, the landscape has changed, as you mm-hmm. said. And, and now like there's, there's, I think the college game is, is older uh, on average. And you have 21 year old freshmen because they, they, they completely age out of junior and they go in. But the upside to that is they get, you know, in a lot of cases they get to play more uh, they earn that trust because they're older, they're, they're, they're developed physically. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, just the, 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 the idea that you can, you can take a little extra time, you can develop. I mean, obviously it's a case by case basis, but, and, and you, you followed that, that traditional path of going right in. But uh, for some of these, these players and parents that might be saying, Oh geez, you know, like my son's 18, 19 already doesn't even have a college commitment yet. The clock's ticking boy. You know, if he doesn't get this commitment, we just need to hang it up, quit the game and, and potentially enroll him as a regular student. What, what, what do you say to maybe parents that are wrestling with that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of moving parts to that having heard these conversations before. And I think it's a great question. I'm a big believer and I will stick to this no matter, you know, the change of landscape, anything like that, that your path is your path. I needed four years of college hockey to be a professional hockey player. Some guys might not need that and can hop out of, you know, you know, one of these bigger schools and go play professional hockey. They might be ready for the professional game. Um, In saying that I've seen, you know, kids that, you know, don't have a D one offer or a college offer and they go into their overage year in junior and they light it up for the first 10 games. And all of a sudden, every single school is knocking down their door. You know what I mean? And so I'd say your path is your path. And no matter what school you go to or where you end up, it doesn't mean that your path can't, you know, change and, and, um, and, and go a different direction. But some kids are more ready for school um, mentally, physically, um, you know, after prep school. And some need those two years of juniors. Um, and I would just say to feel it out and, and kind of see where you're at. Right. And, but don't push the envelope if you don't, you know, and don't panic. Right. It's important not that's, to panic. That's where I'm getting at. So, yeah. um, because not everyone has to follow a cookie cutter right. path that's in hockey. It, 100%. And that, I, I appreciate you saying that because that's, that's really what it comes down to. There are, there are, like, as I said, it's just this, it's just this general belief. Oh my gosh, you know, schools aren't talking to me. I must not be a good player. You know, I'm just going to hang it up. And, you know, we had an interesting kid, Brendan Furry. He's at, he's at Minnesota state, uh, Mankato, uh, got to the frozen four, number 13. He was going to go enroll at Bowling Green, not as a D one hockey player, but as a regular student. And, uh, because he just had no, he wasn't even drafted to the USHL. Didn't really have, you know, he didn't have many leads for junior. He loved hockey, but he got convinced to play another year of AAA in Bell Tire, and he led the team in scoring. Mm-hmm. And Amarillo got him, and we invited him to Omaha uh, main camp tryout camp as an undrafted invitational yeah. player. Kid makes the team, forty points as a rookie in the USHL, changed his whole life, and now he's a Division One scholarship hockey player who has a chance to be a pro he's got that pro you know and again if he had just 
you know, at the time, 18, 19 years old, nothing's materialized. And his parents were like, hey, you need to get to school. Just give it up. And he was going to go be, he was going to go play on the club team at Bowling Green. Yeah. So that, those are the anecdotes and, and, in your path, I mean, like straight out of prep school into high, into, into Brown, it works for some. Jordan Harris, captain of Northeastern Huskies, went straight from KUA to Northeastern. It's done pretty well. You know, it works for some, right? But I love that you said the cookie cutter because that's a great example. So let's go back to, to your time on Brown. What are some of the fonder memories you have of your, your playing experience, your, your experience as a student? Um, maybe who are some of the closer teammates you had? And, 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 and you know, if you've got any cool stories, now would, that would be a great time to, to hear about what that was like for you as a student athlete. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, like you, you'll never hear me. And I think a lot of guys and my teammates at Brown will agree with this of, of fonder times of our lives. First of all, uh, four years at Brown and, you know, we might've had one really uh, two like kind of Cinderella runs in playoffs, you know, with that ECAC format, we made the, the ECAC final four once, but it wasn't really that it was the, the guys that were recruited and that were there um, through my four years and, and just the, awesome group of guys and so i remember my freshman year we were split right down the middle for that world junior tournament we're all watching it and i think we had 29 or 30 guys on the team so it was either 15 canadians and 14 americans or 15 and 15 and i just remember that group of guys um watching those games together mm-hmm. um i think one year it was the carlson ot winner you know right. um and so it was it was an amazing group of guys, but on top of that, it was the compete and the work ethic. Um, and I say that, but they're not the same thing. I will say, this is where I make my point about compete. And this is a John Hines thing. Um, he says, you know, these guys competed though. Like these, they competed in everything. It wasn't a work hard. Like a lot of guys can work hard or pretend to work hard. It was like, it was innate to the people that were at Brown. Like you knew we might not have been the best team, but you knew you were getting a hard competitive game, no matter what, if you walked into Meehan or we were coming into the Yale whale, like, like that Brown team was going to work and compete like no other. And that was something that I noticed from my freshman year. And we had guys like, you know, we had, and we put out some NHL guys as well. You had Ryan Garbett, Aaron Volpatti, toughest pound for pound guy that I've ever met, you know, and one of my first impressions at Brown, um, his story is pretty crazy because he was burned. Uh, his whole body was burnt in juniors. And so I walked in and I see this guy untying his shoes with no shirt on and he's got 30% third degree burns on him and then goes to play in the NHL and is one of the pound for pound toughest guys in the league. And then you follow that up with a Harry Zolnerchuk in the class behind him, who is one of my best friends and looked up to him in so many ways throughout his pro career. And then you go down to me and then Gardy Hathaway. So there's this amazing, and I give credit to, you know, you give credit to, you know, Roger Grillo for his recruiting. You give credit to Brendan Wittett. And then we had guys like Jerry Keefe, Mike Souza, and all these guys that have gone on to be head coaches at, you know, these hockey East schools and who are incredible hockey minds. You have to give credit to that whole process of the people that you um, recruited and the culture that you built there. And that's a culture at Brown that, you know, I think was, was eye-opening for me as a, as a freshman and kind of carried it with me as I, as I moved up. How tough was Volpatti? Volpatti was tough. And yeah. if you haven't looked up his <laughs> fights, there are no token fights with an Aaron Volpatti. And there is no defense. So he's um he's an incredible guy. And he was just, you know, one part of 
pretty much every guy at Brown. It was, it was, it was impressive to see. And I mean, to be able to make that jump, I mean, so many, I mean, as you know, and and this is, you know, I I always use this analogy. It's like a pyramid and you start off at the base and there's tons of hockey players and you're at the base of the pyramid. And then as you go up the levels, the talent weeds some out the talent discrepancy, but some kids just don't have the, have the drive and the desire so they fall off on their own and that pyramid gets narrower and narrower by the time you're at brown i mean you know <laughs> that pyramid's pretty darn narrow if you want to take the next step so what do you what do you attribute you know, your experiences to and the coaching you had and the people that were around you that were really instrumental in allowing you to follow the volpatties and the zolner chucks to you know to pro hockey out of that program yeah i mean i you know, it could have been, you know, some of the people I mentioned and mentioned, you know, before, uh, right. I think everyone plays a role, even those names in coaches I mentioned from my time growing up all the way through prep school, um, to the culture that was built at Brown, the guys I got to be around, um, the way we worked and seeing like Garbutt didn't make it to the NHL traditionally. He played in the central hockey league when he left Brown, you know what I mean? He played in the East coast league and he played in the AHL. Volpatti had one really good senior year he was running over everyone and he scored 17 goals and then he got to play he signed with vancouver it wasn't traditional path right um zolnerchuk was coming from pretty much like what we talked about earlier he they the western ontario coach said he could play on the the b team and he ended up at brown and he got a chance at brown he ended up playing in the nhl so that path was um was definitely and seeing those guys was definitely, um, I mean, instrumental for me. And the coaches I mentioned before, you know, all the way back to Roger Grillo, to Brendan Wittett, to Jerry Keefe, to Michael Souza, to Mark White. Um, and it's it's just, it was a multitude of amazing people, which is also the best part about the hockey world that really kind of, you know, helped develop and foster your path. So... On that note, uh, Providence Bruins. How did that? Uh, how did that all transpire? I mean, it was a. It was. I shall always say it was a rather brief and you know, a brief yeah. experience for you. But I mean, how did how did it all come together? Um, so this is when I and uh, I was with you know Peter Fish and Peter Donatelli with Global, and I had two options coming out of Brown, um, and they were just they were AHL ATOs. They were not NHL contracts. Um, a lot of teams trying to fill their roster. Um, and it was either Providence or, or, or Adirondack with the, with the Philly organization. I chose Providence, um, right down the hill, pretty much called me one morning, grabbed my bag and, and popped down to the, uh, Dunkin' Donuts Center. And, um, and yeah, I played, they had a lot of injuries. I played three games and then I got a real taste of pro hockey. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I will, I will say actually, uh, uh Bruce Cassie's the coach, my first shift, um, my line mates are Trent Whitfield and Zach Hamill. Um, and I'm just, I, I'm a little bit, I got the spoke B on my leg. You know, <laughs> right, I, like, right. I don't know what to do. My whole family's there. Um, it was a cool moment. Um, but I think like I turned over a puck in the neutral zone right off the bat. And I think Bruce Cassie looked at him and he said, he, he's, he said, what are you doing? Get that puck deep. You're not an effing college anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so like, immediately I was like, geez, you better wake up and you play three games and all of a sudden you get all, you know, you get all the, 
the drafted guys. You get Ryan Spooner comes in, you get Justin Florek, you get all these guys that are drafted by the organization. Then you start to understand understand the business of it. Right. It's like, okay, now I'm getting dressed in a different locker room and I'm about 17th on the forward depth chart and I get scratched for 12 games in a row before going to Worcester. Right. <laughs> where I played three games there. Um, and then your first year of pro hockey surprise is an NHL lockout year. So wow. that was kind of the path there. New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast will return after this message. Catch the Sacred Heart University Pioneers on the ice this season. The Pioneers Division I men and women's hockey programs will not disappoint. Season ticket packages and individual tickets are on sale now at sacredheartpioneers.com. And opening in 2023, Sacred Heart University's Martiri Family Arena, a brand new 122,000 square foot premier skating facility in Fairfield, Connecticut. Learn more at sacredheartpioneers.com. If you love college hockey and want an inside look at the game, get a copy of the book, Great Game, D1 College Hockey, People, Places, Perspectives. From the emotions of Frozen Fours to the atmosphere and classic venues, Bruce Haas has captured the passion that people have for the college game through interviews with players, coaches, officials, and fans. No other book captures the spirit of college hockey like this does. Great Game makes a great gift for the holidays for a college hockey fan. Score your copy of Great Game today on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Atascabooks.com, or at your local bookstore. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. That was the path. And so, I mean, just looking back, like who, who were some of those guys that you, you interacted with in Providence that are maybe known, known now to Bruins family? You know, there's, there's so many Bruins fans, I think, that listen to this podcast. They would probably be genuinely curious and, and who some of those guys were that maybe helped you and, and, and help you, helped you to make that adjustment. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think Trent Whitfield is an amazing guy to, to mention. I know he might be, might not be the most household name right now, but for me, we skated together in Rhode Island all summer and it kind of goes back to what we're talking about with all those Brown guys I mentioned, like he compete, we did one-on-ones all summer and he, the way he worked probably six, 700 games into his pro career at that point was was really interesting for me to see i'm six games into my pro career um so that was a really interesting one for me there's definitely a lot of turnover i mean david warsofsky was on that team tommy cross had come in right um ryan spooner had just gotten there who is playing now with pavel Dotsuk is he over khl yeah i was just talking to him yesterday on the old whatsapp yeah and we we reconnected so there you go interesting you mentioned him he uh he he talks about how it's uh, so much less physical 
uh, over in the KHL yeah, yeah. compared to North America, and that that he thinks that's maybe putting uh, life, you know, years on his on his adding years to his career. So yeah, definitely, and he had a lot of skills, so I'm sure he'll be very good over there <laughs> with Pavel. But um, it was definitely you know those names, and then obviously a lot of turnover from then. Um, had the chance to skate with quite a few Bruins guys at BU when we were doing training camps and stuff there yeah. with Mike Greer and Jay Pandolfo um, over the years. And, and those guys are, you know, talk about top quality, <laughs> like watching those guys was, was awesome for me as well. Seeing Patrice Bergeron with Brad Marchand and, and seeing those guys work out off the ice and then seeing how they take, you know, how seriously and how, how hard they work on the ice was, was pretty um, interesting and awesome to see too. So Pittsburgh Penguins gave you your first shot? Essentially, yeah. Yeah, that was the organization that, that valued, you know, that valued Bobby Fardham enough to to uh, to let him, you know, to bring me in and, and let me, you know, they're, they're, they're very honest with me. They said, if you, you know, pretty much if you play this way, we value this. And the coach in particular, John Hines, who I mentioned before, who's in Nashville right now, um, valued my game and valued what I brought. And I had to tweak some stuff to fit in to a role that was, you know, unique, but, um, but something that maybe wasn't glamorous, but was going to help me get to the NHL and the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, wouldn't have one bad thing to say. It's a, it's a winning organization through and through. And they, they, they were as honest as they could be with me. If you do this and this and this, you'll play in this, you can play in this league. And, and that's exactly what happened. Right. So, uh. You know, you're, let's talk about your first rookie, full rookie. You, you know, okay, you said you played three games of Providence, three yeah. games of Worcester. It's really not. So when you're going into your first full season, you know you're going to play in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton. You know you're going to be, you know, you're 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 trying to establish yourself, isn't it? Because there's, as you know, no guarantees. If you don't play well enough in the AHL, then the East there's the East Coast League, right? So I'm sure in the back of your mind. So how would you? How was your preparation, and and how did that? that season generally come together for you in terms of your confidence and how you were able to, to progress as a player? Definitely. I mean, I, I guess I'll start with, it was a terrible summer cause I didn't have a contract. Okay. <laughs> so I ended up in wheeling for nine games in that organization. And, uh, I end up scoring a few goals, a few fights, nine games later, I get called up to Wilkes-Barre. They start out four and five that year. And I had an opportunity to come in there and, and, kind of immediately making make an impact in terms of an energetic uh, role and, and role player that John Hines um, really, you know, he, he wanted that on his fourth line. My line mates were Zach Sill and Steve McIntyre, and he had an old school fourth line, to be quite honest with you. And I was a part of that. I fought a lot, but I was also... Um, I was more so the energetic, fast, forechecking style that they were looking for in that culture um, and that organization. And so it played, you know, that whole season, and that was eye-opening for me because I had never played more than 35 games in a season. So you go through playoffs. We had a playoff run. We went all the way to Eastern Conference Finals that year. Um, um, I On an AHL deal, and then you're 80 games into a season, and my body felt it. Right. So you had to adjust and you had to adapt and you had to realize that, okay, this isn't, this isn't, you know, ball, you know, pretty much all out until, you know, for 35 games. Right. Um, so pace yourself and take care of your body and, and get the treatments and do these things that maybe 
as a younger guy, you might not have had any understanding or appreciation for. Yes, absolutely. So it's, and I, you learn as you go. And that's another thing you could tell the younger generation is learn from the people you're around. Like, cause the, the, my first Pittsburgh Penguins training camp was that second year pro, the second full year pro. And you talk about being a sponge in that order and, and seeing Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, Mark andre Fleury, and you talk about an organ. I always say it this way, is like they might as well have just been a sign and said, like, we win here. You know what I mean? Right. Like, we, we win here. Those guys, the way they carry themselves on the ice, off the ice, their professionalism um, is something for a young, a, a young kid in his career to see was, was the most instrumental thing, I would say, um, moving forward. And that would permeated throughout the entire organization. Right. So eventually, eventually the call comes. Yes. The call comes. So take us through that. How, you know, let's just, how'd you find out? What were your thoughts? What were your feelings? And then that first time your skate blades touched NHL ice and you had achieved a pinnacle that so many hockey players aspire to and so few ever reach. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget it. I, uh, um, I, I, I got called in with Brian Russ. We got called up together for, there's a few injuries in Pittsburgh and the mumps were also going around too. So I could say the mumps might've also played a part in my, my inevitable NHL call up. Sometimes it's better be lucky than good, right? You need a little bit of luck sometimes <laughs> you always do. And I think that's uh, important to note, you know, um, um, and you take it and what you do with that little luck, you know, is, exactly. is another thing. Um, but Brian Russ and I got called in after a game in Wilkes-Barre and I actually had this huge black eye and it was swelling the night before, you know, that night. And we took a, a car to Philly and then flew to Columbus, met the team there day of the game, pregame meeting. And you walk in, I had to check with the doctor cause he said, cause it was, my eye had been so swollen that he didn't, he wanted to make sure that like there wasn't, you know, blood up in the, I know it's right. a, a little bit graphic, but no, I was hey, like, yeah, it's hockey. But you can think about my angle of it is like, I swear if I can't play this game because of a, because of a black eye, like I just like, this could be my only chance. Right. Um, my parents flew out, my cousin, my aunt flew out to Columbus and, and honestly, like you don't, the, the, the nerves, the, the, I didn't sleep. It, like it's, it's what you think. I didn't sleep. I didn't, my first shift was about 10 seconds long. And I think it was, uh, I felt like I had just done, you know, a Herbie. Like I felt like I had just skated for an hour. Um, uh, heart was racing the whole time. And, but like, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't truly believe it until I f- stepped out for that first shift and you're on the game sheet and the game starts. Um, and I think I played like five minutes in that game and it felt like a lifetime. Uh, but, and then we played back to back against Tampa the next night. And that was back at home. And I don't think I slept the next night as well. So you're just running on fumes for those games. Um, but it was something that my parents got to see live and something that, you know, I'll never forget for sure. Um, what was the feed? What kind of feedback did you get initially from your, from your NHL coaches on, on, you know, did they, did you get it? Did they, did they, did they talk to you about how you did and, and give you and talk to you about what you, you needed to do to keep, you know, getting, getting games and shifts or how how was that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, so it was, you know, Rick Tockett, I would talk with Rick Tockett and Mike Johnson was the head coach at the time. Um, I was definitely playing a, you know, third, fourth line role on that team and providing energy. And I know that's what they expected of me. 
because one of the guys who went down with an injury, um, Zach Sill, was was providing that same type of role before me. And so Pittsburgh operated in that way. He went down. I got called up. Next man up. Yep. Um, and uh, and they're a big believer in that through and through in that organization that there's no excuses. There's, you know what, like we call, if we called guys up from the East Coast League, they fill the shoes and the guys in Wilkes-Barre. You call the guys in Wilkes-Barre up to the guys in Pittsburgh um, to fill their shoes. And it was, the, the dialogue was good. It was just, I was playing a little bit less than Wilkes-Barre. And so how can you be effective in five to seven minutes of ice time? How do you, how do you stay in the NHL? How are you effective to your team? What can you do to be effective in such a short time, time frame? Right. Really? Cause that's not a lot of ice time. It's not. Um, and so that was something that you really had to try to, to figure out. And, you know, I remember even having conversations with Rick talking about, it. he's like, he looks at the ice time, looks at it, He's like, he's like, Hey, well you made an impact, you know, like, and so just little comments like that fueled me and kept me going. So, I mean, penguins, devils, Canadians, you know, what are some of your, your fondest, fondest memories of, I mean, again, in a perfect world, we would be able to be where we want to be for as long as we can. But again, you, you had that opportunity, you played a full season with the devils. You, you were a regular, um, what, what, what are some of the, what are the, the, some of the greatest things you'll take from, from that experience and the times you had and the opportunity you had to play, to play at the highest level? I think, I think the whole experience and like now that I'm, you know, a little bit removed, first of all, from the NHL, but a little bit from my, you know, my playing career is that you can look back with, you know, hindsight and, and like be very proud of what you accomplished and, and, and the path you took to get there. I was a very long shot to make that league. You know what I mean? And I was very fortunate to play for those organizations and those teams. And I will always say, um, I will always say that it's the people around the sport. It's my friends. It's my teammates. It's the, it's how many good guys are really in the sport. And I don't mean that just teammates, but I mean like, I mean like equipment managers, relationships um, with fans, immersing yourself in each community um and doing it wholeheartedly and that's one thing as i got an older to be an older guy in the ahl i would tell the young guys is like don't take this for granted i was like you're this is a there's a limited time frame that you have to be a professional so when you do that be a consummate professional on the ice away from the rink in the community and take advantage of it sign every single autograph do all that stuff having those experiences and then having um met those people um that I still stay in touch with are, are the best, you know, is really the best part. And then on top of that, having my family and my friends be so supportive of me throughout all that, you know, my whole career and be there. Like, I'll just, you know, remember one time when I got, when I was in New Jersey and I scored a goal against Pittsburgh and it was like, it was like, like one of the coolest moments ever. And my cousins, like my cousins were there. My, my, my friends were there and I just, they were more excited than I was for me. And my dad had been watching on TV and like, it was those moments and sharing it with those people that are so close to me that made the ride that much better. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. Awesome. First NHL goal. What happened? Oh gosh. I, I wasn't even supposed to play that game. I came to New Jersey and I was healthy. Scratch, I was healthy scratch again. I know I'm like the healthy scratch King over here. Um, and, uh, I think I sat out two games and then I, somebody was hurt um, for that. It was a matinee game against the Islanders. And 
I'd come to the rink. I was supposed to take warm-ups, and, and Heinze said, no, you're playing. I said, okay, great. All right, great. Um, first shift, I had first shift. I, I shot one on net. Johnny Moore scored. Um, there's a Bruins. Bruins there's a Bruins for, reference, yeah. number 27. Johnny, yeah, Johnny Moore scored. And uh, so I had an assist. I think my next shift, I took a slashing penalty. So then I was in the penalty box. And then I think my third shift, I came down, and, and Steven Gianta had missed the net wide. I was dot wide. What I've learned, habits, back right. to habits, I was dot wide, right in the dot lane. Um, if I had gone anywhere inside and I hit this, came off the backboard, came out, and I just I hit a one-timer on, on Yaroslav Halak, and it just, it, it, I mean, I, I was I just wanted to get it on net, but it ended up going right in the top corner. Like, it looked wow, nice, yeah. and it was... Uh, it was uh, quite the moment to, to get the first one for sure. Awesome. Yeah. So you call, you, you, you ended up you know, after the NHL spent more time in the, in the AHL and then you end up in Belfast, Ireland. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about uh, what that was like for you. I mean, talk about a, you know, a full circle, like experience. Uh, what, what, what are you going to get? Like when I, first of all, when I went over to Europe, um, I wanted to play, you know, I'd played a role my whole career. I wanted to go over to Europe. I wanted to go to a great city, um, you know, and I wanted to, I wanted to have the opportunity to play a power play. You know, I wanted the opportunity to, to, ha- to have that again. And I know I had the capabilities of doing it. So I got that chance in Belfast. And the first thing I'll say about Belfast is, is I had no idea like what that team really meant to the city. Um, and you figure that out very, very quickly. First of all, it, it's it's a it's a place that's you know been contentious for for many years with the the troubles and pretty recent troubles with the Protestant Catholic split. And the Belfast Giants team was brought under one roof, um, and with a teal color, a neutral color, to bring you know Protestants and Catholics of every religious belief alike under one roof to root on one team. So we don't do a national anthem and there's a much bigger meaning to that team than I had fully realized before going over there. So that in itself was cool. And then immersing yourself in that community with the fandom there and a couple of those first champions league games where we played teams from other countries was, was an, another experience in itself. And it was unbelievable playing over there in that city with those people and the people around that team and organization. So what I've found when you, you go and you play in a non-traditional area. The fans are way more passionate and knowledgeable, you know, because they are, they're there, they're into it. You know, they are not your run of the mill, just rooting for a team because their parents did, or that's the thing to do. Is that, was that what you experienced with the Giants fan base? Everyone had a Jersey. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to the game, you're wearing a Jersey and it, and it was exactly what you said, you know, exactly what you experienced. The, the passion was, was next level. And it was, it was awesome because we'd we'd travel to Cardiff in Wales and we'd have sellout uh, arena there and we'd bring four or five hundred fans um, and with the drums with everything they traveled with everything and so the passion was was next level and it was so awesome to see a different culture and and I had a great group of guys in that team that we had a lot of fun as well. So career twenty twenty called it um, come back came came back home. Uh, what are you doing now to stay to stay involved in the game of hockey? Yeah, so it's 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 been really interesting. It's um, first of all, leaving the game is is interesting in itself. 
Um, you never can really mimic, you know, like some of those moments we have just talked about. You can never really mimic uh, that in life after hockey. But I will say, like having the conversations and and looking into different industries and different things, um, it has been so interest. It has been great. I've been talked to so many cool people, and I decided to um, stay involved in the game with my old agency with Peter Fish and Peter Donatelli um, um, with Global Hockey Consultants and pretty much helping the next generation of guys live out their dreams and then also helping on the business side of the industry as well. And it was a good um, point for me to really see, you know, what you can do in the game of hockey because you get the full spectrum. You get the full spectrum. You're watching young guys. You're watching NHL clients. You You are dealing with, a business side of the industry, you're dealing with a hockey side, a development, a scouting side. So if there's a good way to touch them all in, in the hockey world, I thought this is a great spot. So I've been with them for the last six months and it's a, a boutique agency that does an amazing job and they do it genuinely and they do it the right way. Um, and, uh, and I'm fortunate to, to be in the position I am right now. That's interesting. We met at, we met at a rink yep. not too long ago and you were, and, and we met because you were having an interaction with a young young player and that's what that's what started and then you guys were talking and i injected myself into your conversation (laughs) i'm glad i did it's it's what led to you being here um fine young player but you know that that's what it's about and and that what what struck me is you know you're an advisor you're you're someone that's been there um but what are you trying to do uh and accomplish with these younger players to really maybe set them on not only just a, a a path to succeed in hockey, but, but in life based on your own experiences. Yeah. I mean that first of all, being in the rinks is, is incredible. I mean, you talk about having fun in, in the rinks and right. like, and having conversations with all those guys mm-hmm. I mentioned before, you know, all of a sudden you're with a Michael Souza and a Jerry Keefe and a Brendan Witt. And, the, and then it's just like, you know, everybody there. Right. And it's awesome. But from, from a standpoint of uh, development and, and having a relationship um, with the younger players as they go on this path, I've lived and breathed the whole thing. I've been through it all, every level, um, from you know, from prep school, college, all the way through the pro ranks. And I think I can give an invaluable insight and just and not and just but in a very genuine, honest way. And I think a lot of times these um, you know, these younger players will they'll need they'll need to hear from me that like, hey, it's okay, like I didn't make a festival team, you know, and I get to play in the NHL. Right. I was like, I was like, not everything's going to go your way, but hear it from me because I didn't, I, it didn't go my way either every time. And it, and it worked out. I but here's like, what you have to do. Here's what you have to do. Right. And you got to approach it this way and you have to stay focused and you have to, you not do this and you, and you have to really own your game. And I was like, and you will be, and you'll have to be this way until the day that you retire. You know what I mean? And then you'll, you'll gain all the the valuable things that you learn from the game of hockey you'll use in your post hockey life as well. I was like, and you'll channel that when that comes time. But like for now you need to, you need to be the first, you know, you really do like and without sounding cliche, you got to be the first guy on the ice. You got to be, um, you know, you got to be a great teammate. And that's one thing that goes you know, under the radar, you know, for me, when I watch a game now, I don't watch how you play. I watch how you interact with your teammates. I was like, 
if you're on the bench and your teammate scores, I'm not looking at your teammate sometimes. I'm looking at you on the bench to see if you jump up and celebrate when he scores because it's a team game and you're not stepping on anyone to get where you want to go. You're going to do it. You're going to do it your way and you're going to do it the right way as far as I'm concerned. And that's right. what I'm a big believer in. And you need to live and breathe that all the way up um, because those other guys will fizzle out. I promise you. They yeah. might get something for now, but those other guys um, will fizzle out. So you need to have the the right approach and the right mindset. And and if if guys can hear it from me and I can help with that and keep them channeled and keep them on that path, then you know what? That's very rewarding for me and what I do. Being a good teammate matters. All that yeah. stuff matters. You know, Absolutely. It's like, it's like going off the ice when you've, you've got possession. You've been on there for a while yeah. and you're tired, but it's power play. You've got possession in the offensive zone. A kid that leaves ice to get a fresh set of legs knowing he's sacrificing a potential assist or a goal yep. says a lot absolutely so this has been uh, this has been great we have one more requirement of you though before we're going to let you go bobby and that is a rapid fire round all right all right we ready, ready to go okay yep. it's time for rapid fire favorite player growing up Favorite player growing up. It was Cam Neely when I was really young. And then I actually, uh, Patrice Bergeron actually was too. Good, good choice there. A favorite pair of hockey skates. I'd, <laughs> let's go with, let's go with the tackless. Is it the 852s? Okay. It's your, it's your answer. Ones, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, favorite arena to play in? Uh, Montreal. As a competitor, you know, as a, as an opposing team and at, as a home game, that that place is that place is the mecca. I think ideal golf foursome. If you could pick any other three guys to play with you, okay, this is an interesting one. I've, it, it, you might get a chuckle out of this, but I'm going to say this because um, I'll explain it. Harry Zolnerchuk is one of my best friends. I've mentioned him before. I haven't seen him for two years because he's been in Canada and the pandemic has been going on. So I miss him. He's going to be in it. And then our favorite, when we played together in Wilkes-Barre, our favorite movie was The Internship. So I'm going to add Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn to that foursome. That sounds like a great foursome. Toughest opponent you played against. Oh, geez. Toughest opponent. Um, toughest opponent. I, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to say this guy, um, Mark Borbiexi. I think that's how you pr- pronounce it. Um, I played against him in the minors, played against him in the NHL. We even had a fight and I did not win that fight, but... <laughs> Um, I would say that he was he was a pit bull and one of the toughest guys that I played against. Most respected teammate. Most respected teammate. I'll go. I, I mean, I so I, many, but one. So many. Um, I, I I would say you know I don't respect it, you know anyone more than you know one of my best friends Harry Zolnerchuk, but I but I but I respect. Uh, I will go right to the top on this one, Sidney Crosby, and what he brings to the game and how he competes and what he does on a daily basis and seeing him compete. Um, and work the way he does, and he's already the best player in the world. Uh, he was, yeah, tons of respect. Aquaman or Iron Man? <laughs> ah, I'll go Aquaman. Okay, thank you. That concludes Rapid Fire. Uh, again, Bobby, thank you so much for your time today. And until next time, we'll see you in the rink. Awesome. Thanks, Kirk. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NE Hockey Journal, on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal, and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com. 
New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise is a Siemens Media Podcast.